Uh, hello, welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club podcast, in which I'll be uh, working my way through all of the writings of of HP Lovecraft. Um, we're uh, moving right along with the stories Lovecraft wrote in the second part of the 1920s. Uh, specifically today, I want to take a look at The Strange High House in the Mist, um, written in 1926, published in Weird Tales in October 1931. As we get later into his career, there's quite a few stories that were that were written late 20s, early 30s, but don't get published for a while. I think one of the best examples of this might be the other mountains of madness which was written in 1931 but it wasn't in print i think until until 34 35 right towards the end of his life um now the strange high house in the mist is a really really important story i think uh for a couple of reasons i i think it's sort of uh you know in the same way that i think uh, at the horror at red hook is is a skeleton key for some of his like mythos stories i think strange high house in the mist kind of serves that function uh, as a, in in the sense of the Dreamland stories, uh, maybe even better than Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath. Uh, I guess that's the best example of a work that's really putting together all of the Dreamland stuff. But you know, and it's always referencing other Dreamland stories. But this is a much shorter tale that I think gets to the heart of of I maybe maybe Dreamland is the wrong way to say it, like the cosmic horror uh, element. So uh, the Maybe you got these three parts. Maybe as I kind of working this out in my head, you got like the mythos stuff, the stuff with cults, the stuff with uh, the traditions, the immigration. That's where a lot of racial stuff is, obviously. Then we have stories that are really cosmic horror, and connected to that are really the dream one stories. Obviously, you have things like uh, the other gods, which is cosmic horror in in kind of the dreamland setting. Uh, so they, I kind of do see those as as a little bit more interrelated. And of course, they all three fit together in a lot of his later works. Uh, but this one really uh, is is one of his is maybe the best introduction to his cosmic horror in a way. It's also the best description of Kingsport that we get in the three Kingsport stories. So the three stories are uh, the terrible old man and the festival, which we already looked at both of those. We already looked at both of those stories, but here we actually get a good description of the geography, the history, and we get a just a better look at Kingsport. And um, actually with this story and the next one I'm going to look at called Pickman's Model, I think it's fair to say that both of these stories are really most interesting in terms of their geography and their and the architecture and the description of place. Um, actually, I, I jotted something down here. Uh, I'll bring it up next time when I talk about Pickman's Model too. Uh, if we look at like the, the Lovecraft's geography, uh, where is it? I was at the bar last night with this book, writing it down. Oh, yeah, Kingsport is like a 16th, 17th century uh, place. It's actually called uh, a Tudor um, or Elizabethan or something like that uh, architecture. So it's 16th, 17th century. It's very old American. It's, it's one of the first little towns, very much connected to the sea. Providence and Arkham are much more 18th century, and obviously both exist in his stories. He has Arkham stories and he has Providence stories, and... They're kind of, uh, I guess Arkham is more of a Salem, but, uh, but, and I think both exist in the same, in the same universe, but they're both like 18th century cities. Um, and then Innsmouth is actually more of a 19th century city in a way. It's like an industrial city almost. All three are connected to the sea, obviously, but of the sea of different eras, different epochs of New England history. And if you read his letters, 
you know, you get, uh, you become aware really quickly of how much Lovecraft was interested in the New England history, especially its maritime history. All right, so, yeah, let's jump in. The story begins with, really, this geography and this description of the deep past of Kingsport. Um, the story begins, In the morning mist comes up from the seas by the cliff beyond Kingsport. White and feathery, it comes from the deep to its brothers, the clouds full of dreams and dank pastures and caves of Leviathan. And later, in still summer rains on the steep roofs of poets, the clouds scatter bits of those dreams that men shall not live without rumors of old, strange secrets and wonders that planets tell planets alone in the night. When tales fly thick in the grottos of tritons and conches and seaweed cities, while blow wild tunes learned from the elder ones, then great eager mists flock to heaven laden with lore and oceanward eyes on the rocks, see only a mystic whiteness, as if the cliff's rims were the rims of all earth and the solemn bells of buoys tolled free in the ether of fairy. So this deep past, this is the deep past of Kingsport. This is all apparently even pre-human. This is just the geography of, of, this, of this location. Um, now, we're told that north of Kingsport, I don't think this comes up in Terrible Manor of the Festival. If it does, I just missed it. But this is the first we hear about this. But we have these mountains north of Kingsport. And on top of this is our strange high house in the mist. But it's, it's a house that no one can really reach. No one really uses, but sometimes it lights up. People kind of have rumors about those that live there. Um, and the Kingsport people are, are sea folk. They're not mountain folk. But there is this, so it's a bit of a disconnect between the city, it's, or the town, its histories, its, its architecture, and then this anomaly, this mountain kind of rising up. And it creates more of this uh, kind of mythological feel of, of the entire city. I think no story, even better than the festival, does as good a job of really creating, Kings, showing Kingsport as this uh, fuzzy, timeless, really weird place. I mean, it, in, a, in a way, it's even more strange than, than Arkham or Innsmouth in that, because those places, despite the weird things that happen there, are much more grounded cities with universities, with uh, factories, uh, Kingsport just seems to be almost like a, a throwback, something completely out of time. And a lot of that shows up here in the early um, pages, the early lines of this story. Um, now, the cliff itself is taboo, uh, but people see it and people have curiosity in it about it. And um, but mostly people don't really go there uh quote the portuguese sailors coming in from a voyage cross themselves when they first see it and the old yankees believe it would be a much grave matter than death to climb it if indeed it were possible nonetheless there's an ancient house on that cliff and at evening men see lights in the small paned window um so much about the sea in this story too it's just really rich about the these connections to the sea um, pretty much on every page of the story, we, we get that. It's more so than most of his stories. I, I emphasize a lot his way he connects places to the sea. Um, kind of like how at the Horror of Red Hook you have a lot of that. But here it's, it's like every page, almost every paragraph, there's references to sea, to sailors, to the ocean. And, and it's just really kind of a fascinating window into it. You think about Innsmouth and you say, obviously... The, ancient traditions come in from the sea here it's it is of the sea it is a city of the sea um, but this high house is a bit of an anomaly in that and that's what makes it taboo 
in a way. Now, we get a lot here also about the traditions that are alive in Kingsport, traditions about the, about the, the house and other traditions alive there. Of course, we've seen the festival. Uh, now, we even are introduced, reintroduced to the terrible old man, uh, and we're reminded that he buys, he's like also a throwback. He buys stuff with the Spanish gold, right? And I think this gives a new perspective on the terrible old man, too. At the time, you think, well, he's just like a vampire who stayed alive all this time. He's like an old pirate who's managed to stay alive for all these centuries, still paying for things in old Spanish gold. We see this use of Spanish gold or silver later on in the Dunwich Horror uh, as well. Another kind of throwback community, but one not connected to the sea nearly as much. Um, but here, he's, there he was just a villain that you really couldn't approach. Here people talk to him and interact with him. He seems to just be a, a man of the town that people seem to know about. So then we're introduced to our, uh, I guess, main character outside the house itself the main character of the story, and that is Thomas Olney, who's like a philosopher, taught ponderous things in a college by Nargisa Bay. So he's not that far away. Um, and he comes with his family. He's got occult interests, but he's academically my, myopic. So he is interested in the occult, but he's a little bit, a little bit uh, more disciplined than some of the people who have, uh, who investigate a little bit more obtuse, a little bit more close-minded. But nevertheless, he wants to really investigate this 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 house and the Kingsport traditions and he just goes around talking to be he even talks about the talks to the terrible man um, about what's going on um, so what he tries to do after asking around and tapping into the local traditions is he decides he's going to scale the cliff he's going to try to get up there and no one really knows quite how to get there. There's various rumors about it. Again, traditions show up about the, the house. Um, in fact, the terrible old man shares one of these, saying, The terrible old man wheezed a tale that his father had told him of lightning that shot one night up from the peak cottage to the clouds of higher heaven, and Granny Orne, whose tiny gamble roof abode in Ship Street is all covered with moss and ivy, croaked about something her grandfather learned at second hand about shapes that flapped out of the eastern mist straight into the narrow single door of that unreachable place. For the door set close to the edge of the crag towards the ocean and glimpsed only from ships at sea. So the suggestion here is that people get there directly from kind of from the sky and that the door is on the cliffside. It's not on the, like if you imagine a trail going up to the back of the house, right? That's what you'd expect if people went there, but that doesn't seem to be the main access point. Um, so finally, he just decides, I got to go up there. I have to scale this cliff. But there's this huge mystery. And quite a lot of the story at this point is just the struggle of him getting up the, the way. So it's a mystery. How can people even climb this cliff? There's no, it doesn't seem to be a trail. He's searching for a path can't find it he tries to find old indian trails and for a good page or two there's just this overarching mystery of how to even get there and this adds more to the mystery of the house itself because it seems not to have been created by humans for humans so anyways he eventually gets up there um and there's this this uh all these interesting perspectives of the town and he thinks he meditates only meditates a little bit on how the people of the town see the cottage uh as sort of like part of the sky uh for instance quote now the narrow the rich narrowed and only grew dizzy at the loneliness in the sky south of him the frightful precipice of bunkingsport north of him the vertical drop of nearly a mile to the river's mouth 
Suddenly a great chasm opened for him, ten feet deep, so that he knew he had to let himself down on his hands and drop to a slanting floor and then crawl perilously up a natural defile in the opposite wall. So this was the way the folk of the uncanny house journeyed betwixt earth and sky. Um, the cottage itself being kind of part of, of the sky, right? Um, that's already been implied that, that whoever lives in the house does not approach it from, from land. And he, he gets his whole look at the sea, too. Quote, when he climbed out of the chasm, a morning mist was gathering, but he clearly saw the lofty unhallowed cottage ahead, walls as gray as the rock and high peaks standing bolt against the milky white of the seaward vapors. And he perceived that there was no door on the landlord, landward edge, but only a couple of small latrice windows with dingy bull eyes panes leaded in 17th century fashion. Another reminder that we're in this ancient architecture. But it's not just this house. It's all of Kingsport seems to be of the 17th century or even the 16th century. Definitely there's a mention here of Tudor uh, furniture, for instance. I think it's Tudor furniture, if not Tudor architecture. I guess Tudor architecture wouldn't make much sense in Kingsport. It would have to be at least 17th century, so Stuart era architecture. But, uh, yeah, Providence, Arkham, clearly Georgian in, in, if we're going to date the, the architecture by these kind of English dynasties, as, as Lovecraft tends to do. So he has to get in through this window, uh, but, but they're locked, and, and while he's there, he hears like the, the rattling of the lock on the other side, so he hears someone going in and out of the house. So then uh, only runs into the guy, and he's the one described, uh, or his the how the the furniture in the house anyway is described in the Tudor fashion. I think his clothing is too. Um, so quote stuck out of the west window was a great black bearded face whose eyes shone phosphorescently with the imprint of unhealthy sights, but the voice was gentle of a quaint olden kind, so that only did not shudder when a brown hand reached out to help him over the still into the low room of the black oak wainscots and carved Tudor furnishings. The man was clad in very ancient garments and had about him an unpackable nimbus of sea lore and dreams of tall galleons. Only then I recall many of the wonders he told or even who he was, but he said that he was, but says that he was strange and kindly and filled with the magic of unfathomed voids of time and space. The small room seemed green with a dim aqueous light and only saw that the far windows to the east were not open, but shut against the misty ether with dull, thick panes like the bottoms of old bottles. So then we get, so he's in the house. He has to go in through the window and this man helps him get in. And then he begins telling these ancient stories, not just of ancient Kingsport, but even going farther back, back to that primordial history we're introduced to in the very, very first cha uh, paragraph of the story. Uh, even Kings of Atlantis, um, the years of the Tritons, uh, and then stories of the elder gods and the elder, the yeah, the chaos before the gods, or even the elder ones were born, and when the only other gods came to dance at the peak of Hathleclog in the stony desert near Urthar, beyond the river Sky. These are all Dreamland references, by the way. Obviously, the elder gods is the Hathleclog, uh, Ulthar, Cats of Ulthar. So these are all Dreamland's places that. Um, they're obviously on his mind because it's around the time that he's writing this that he begins working on Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath, I think pretty much at the same time. Um, this was written in November of 1926, and that's the same time he's writing the Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath, which was written in the winter of 26 to 27. So 
he's uh, this isn't like a test run for that story by any means, but he's actually playing with a lot of similar uh, themes here of of people trying to get access to the outer gods, right? And only is not a quester; he's not a dreamer in the same way that uh, that Carter is in the dream quest of the unknown Kadath, but both end up you know, kind of going up for trying to figure something out. I think maybe only is presented a little bit more hard-headed uh, than, than obviously a dreamer would be. But, um, so then it gets weird. So there's only a few pages left in the story at this point after he hears the stories from this old man that he starts getting, um, there's other visitors to the house, there's other noises, suggesting other visitors to the house. And obviously they come in through the front, right? So like the supernatural elements come in through the front door of the house which is impossible for humans to reach so he encounters these other visitors that come come to the house and they seem to be the nodens which are actually celtic gods um lovecraft uses them a few times in his stories but he witnesses these ancient gods in particular these nodens um but other things as well um quote and the conscious okay and i'll move back a bit um and golden flames played around the weedy locks so that only was dazzled as he did them homage. Trident bearing Neptune was there, and sport of tritons and fantastic nereids. And upon dolphin's back was balanced a vast, crenulate shell wherein rode the gray and awful form of primal nodens, lord of the great abyss. And the conches of the triton gave weird blast, and the nereids made strange sounds by striking on the grotesque, resonant shells of unknown lurkers in the black sea caves. Then hoary Nodens reached forth a wizened hand and helped Oni and his host into a vast shell whereabout, whereat the conches and the gong set up a wild and awesome clamor, and out in the limitless ether reached, reeled that fabulous train, the noises of whose shouting was lost in the echoes of thunder. And that's kind of the, the, the experience that he has. And notice he's kind of tied to the sea through these experiences with the conch shells and uh, Nereids and, and Neptune and all this stuff. It's all sea stuff. Um, now we kind of go back to the perspective of the people at Kingsport who are watching sort of what's going on. Olney's children and wife are also went with him in Kingsport and they're a bit freaked out about this. And they're praying. They, they pray to the Baptist God. So it's not clear how well that will do. Um, but finally, it's like the next day only comes back down. He's able to come back down and he has no memory of really what happened. In fact, the suggestion here is that he left sort of his spirit behind. Quote, nor could he talk of these matters at all, save with the terrible old man, who afterwards bumbled queer things in his long white beard, vowing that the man who came down from the crag was not wholly the man who went up. And that somewhere under that gray peak roof or amidst inconceivable reaches of that sinister white mist, there lingered still the lost spirit of him who was Thomas Olney. Um, so he easily is very changed, if not literally his spirit is, is left behind. Um, so um, the res the, what happens then because of this is basically the town, uh, well, maybe not the town itself, but the, the town is going to continue to have mysteries about it, but only himself kind of pledges to stop searching. He kind of engages in this very Lovecraftian act of forgetting of trying to forget, of, of, of trying to close the book, trying to lock it away, you know, lock the book with the key or whatever, those, those books that have the latch. Lock it up, put it hidden away, maybe give it to Miskatonic University where, you know, people can just prevent others from looking at it. That's what he engages in. Quote, no, and any more does he long, not any more does he long for the magic of Farther Hills, 
or sighs, for secrets that appear like green reefs from a bottomless sea. The sameness of his days no longer give him sorrow, and well-disciplined thoughts have grown enough for his imagination. So he's even more boring at the end of the story than he was at the beginning. But this is the proper thing to do in a way, uh, because you obviously don't want to keep searching for something that the reality of which is so horrific to your soul. Um, there are rumors, though, that continue throughout Kingsport about this experience. Uh, you still have sounds from the house, so kind of it's still part of this town, and it's, it's, the town will still have this history and this this proximity to the to the other gods. There's even a continued curiosity from the young, which is interesting and, and a bit frightful for when we consider with this theme of forgetting, only does the right thing of forgetting, but not everyone does. Quote, worst of all, though it is the shriveling of old fears in the hearts of Kingsport's young men who grow prone to listen at night to the north wind's faint distant sounds. They swear no harm or pain can inhabit that peaked cottage for in the new voices gladness beats and with them a tinkle of laughter and music. So there's a bit of curiosity of the youth. Um, but anyways, tales, uh, tales, uh, rumors and things like that continue. Um, there are some details of Olney's visit and what happened to him. These carry on in King's Port traditions as well, largely through the terrible old man who gets, uh, who, who only talked to after he's one of the, he's the one person only really talked to, I guess, frankly, about what really happened to him. And so he knows about this, uh, the second visitor that came and to the house, which is a little bit ambiguous. It's not really clear what all that was involved. It's clear he seems something. He still saw these other gods and the Nodens and experienced something with them. But there was also this knock of another visitor. And so the terrible man is the only one who really knows about that. Now, here's how the story ends. Quote, all these things, however, the elder ones may only may decide. And meanwhile, the morning mist still comes up by that lonely vertiginous peak with the steep ancient house, that gray, low-evened house where nothing is seen, but where evening brings furtive lights while the north winds tell of strange revels. White and feathery it comes from the deep to its brothers, the clouds full of dreams of dang pastures and caves of Leviathan. And when tales fly thick in the grottoes of Triton and conches and seaweed cities blow wild tunes learned from the elder ones, then great eager vapors flock to heaven laden with lore. And Kingsport nestled uneasily on its lower, lesser cliffs below that awesome hanging sentinel of rock sees oceanward only a mystic whiteness as if the cliff's, cliff's rims were the rims of all earth and the solemn bells of the buoys told free from the ether of fairy. So the story ends with the same kind of cosmic uh, geography of Kingsport, temporal and, and, and physical. Uh, this connection to the sea is reminded of, but also this proximity of Kingsport to the Elder Ones. Here called the Elder Ones. I think they're the same as the Outer Gods from, from that story. So anyways, that's what happens in the Strange High House in the Mists. Um, I think it's a bit tough to maybe clearly interpret. It's, it's, uh, it's just there's so much going on that it's, it's maybe a bit hard to dissect. A little bit um, but I think this is just a really good kind of overarching vision of of kind of his cosmic horror and it connects to the dreamlands obviously but it also connects to some of these ideas of traditions and of you know it's set on earth 
it's set in in our world it's not set in the dreamlands like the outer gods but you know it's really like the strange high house in the mist is very much like that mountain in the outer gods uh, it's called Hathlet Claw, and this is the the main character in the Outer Gods. And that story was written when that was written five years earlier. That guy climbs a mountain, right, to experience the Outer Gods, and, and he's not able to return. Now, only is able is able to return, but maybe a soul can't. Maybe a soul's left behind. But it's a very similar type of geographical um, situation where you have to climb up from a village, where the people say, "Don't go up there. It's weird. It's dangerous." But someone of boldness a scholar wants to seek that out anyways so i think it sits nicely against that one but it also is very much of the sea it's also about the sea and the gods seem to come from the sea and tied to the sea and the traditions and kingsport itself was of the sea so uh, it's very much a maritime story as well um, so i i like it i like it it's not my favorite lovecraft story but i i think there's a lot here to really like and appreciate it's an important one to read though if you're trying to uh really unlock his philosophy and his especially the philosophy of his cosmic horror so um anyways let me know what you think i'm sure there's a lot i missed or the things i should be saying about this this story but um if you have any thoughts please let me know what they are uh, in the next episode i'll talk about uh, pickman's model uh, which is read around the same time but but thematically quite different but in the sense that it's interested in geography and ancient history of a, of a, of a location it, it has some similarities with strange high house in the mist it also connects to unknown kadath so um which we'll be looking at after that we'll do it probably over four episodes but that'll come after we're done looking at pikmin's model but pikmin's model has connections to kadath strange high house in the mist has connections to kadath so even though they're very different stories it's it's um important piece of the story as we lead up to the dream quest of, of unknown kadath uh, especially with the character of richard upman pickman and the ghouls we get our best look at the ghouls here um in this story did we ever meet the lovecraftian ghouls before i don't think so like in the rats in the wall there's a suggestion of them but here we meet his ghouls which of course become major players in the novel dream quest of unknown kadath so I look forward to talking about that fun story. It's one that everyone seems to like. I haven't met anyone who doesn't at least dig the feel and the experience of reading Pickman's model. It's narratively very different from his other stories, and it's going to be fun to jump into. So I hope you'll join me uh, if you, especially if you have an artistic eye and you're interested in uh, painting. Um, we'll see how Lovecraft uh, takes on art, something he talks a lot about. Um, but this is maybe his most well-known story about art. So I will um, see you then. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.